Well, I don't know how hard your job is, but at my job, I could blow out a knee if I don't watch it. <laughs> so that's uh, for those of you who were not here last week, uh, in the middle of straining myself to preach the Word of God, I uh, did something to my knee and it, it caused me, I had to stop. And uh, just, I know all of you were so alarmed. Uh, uh, I fine, knees swollen a little bit. Uh, I've had two surgeries on that knee, so uh, it's, you know, one of those things where, um, well, I'm getting older, people, okay? I'm not as young as I used to be. I'm just going to go ahead and say what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking, but uh, uh, I just, this, you know, you guys think my job is a cushy job. I work one day a week and could hurt myself, so it's not as cushy as you think, okay? Not as cushy as you think. We're walking through the book of James in the New Testament, and uh, about every week, I, I have certain grids that I go through, and I'm writing something, and one of the grids I go through is what song people would know would also go with this subject matter, and not always is there a good song that most of us have heard about, but this week there is, and this week, you could summarize the, the tension that James builds with an old queen song, I Want It All. Say it with me. I want it now. Got to go get my future. I want it all. I want it now. And believe it or not, a lot of the pain that has happened in your life that was the result of your side of the street is because there were things you wanted and you didn't know you wanted and you were going to get them. Get out of my way. I want it all. I want it now. Um, look at these words from James chapter 4. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? Now hold that, stop right there. Before we move deeper into that section, think about what causes conflict. So Sherry and I, we, we have, and I know it's, I, I'm not really not supposed to say this because it just sounds like I'm fitting into the stereotype of a of a heavenly preacherly home with his wife. But my, my wife and I are very compatible. And um, it's just been an amazing ride for almost 37 years being married to her and she to me, uh, you know. Uh, and, uh, but one, there's, there's just two things. Everybody has, like, you have a few things. And one of them is cookie batter. I don't understand why you can't eat the batter. Do I, do I have somebody with me? Here we go. I don't understand. It's going to be eaten anyway. Now my argument is sushi. Do you know, Sherry, some people eat fish that hasn't been cooked yet. It's called sushi. I don't do that, but, that, but some people do. Why? Because you can eat it before it's baked or it's cooked. And this kind, gentle, I mean, my wife is amazingly kind, compassionate, turns into a mean person when there's a cookie batter war going on. There's an old story of a guy who was on his deathbed and he's in his bed and he, he, smells, he smells chocolate chip cookies being baked out in the kitchen and, and he, he crawls out of his bed and he crawls across the floor and he goes into the kitchen and he reaches up to grab one of the chocolate chip cookies and boom, spatula hits him on the wrist. And his wife says, put it back, they're for the funeral. 
That is my destiny right there. I can tell you how it's going to end right there. That's my destiny. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from the desire, your, your desires that battle within you? It's amazing. No truer words were ever written in the scriptures. You desire but do not have, so you kill. You kill. <clears throat> and that could literally be true, but it's also you kill relationship. You kill happiness. You kill contentment. You covet but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. There are approximately 24 regions around the world right now that are at war. It's not just Ukraine and Russia. And it's all about desires about it. We want the oil. We want the land. We want the power. We, <laughs> you could go on and on. We want it. You have it. We, you're not going to keep it. Do you know since the Berlin Wall fell in 1989, almost 7 million people have died in violent conflict in the world? So this, this, I'm reading a book right now about the, the wall and just the construction of it, the insanity of it, to be honest. And to think that, man, some of us remember 1989. It was, it was oh my gosh, this is really happening, right? Socialist communism is, is falling, it's going down. And that ended all conflict, right? No, it didn't. Because humanity and its unmet desires will find new ways to quarrel and fight. We'll find new ways to battle. We all have to be a human being in relationship is to have desires that compete with other people in our family, that compete with other people in our neighborhood, with our team, with our group. Some are lofty, ennobling pleasures and desires that honor God. Some are destructive desires that can wreck a human life, but it doesn't matter. It's any desire we have, if not properly managed, can lead to destruction, can lead down a path where you say, how did we end up here? And James says, it's because I want it all. I want it now. And today we're going to talk about this core skill of desire management. Now, those of you who are high school students need to know your brain, the part of your brain, especially male teenagers, your, this is why this is so critical, is if you're a teenager and you're a male, the part of your brain that is cognitive desire management is not fully developed yet which means you do stupid stuff. And, you, and, and, you, and your, your dad says, you need your head examined, which is literally true to some extent. And so it would be really smart if you say, I don't want to wreck my life by doing something stupid because I had a desire and I thought I'm going to meet it. Uh, it'd be really smart to listen to this today because it could literally save you from yourself. At Players Box this week, I told about 10 years ago, I heard my phone buzz. I was going down social row, heard my phone buzz, and, and I had stopped, and the phone had slid off the seat, and I reached down to pick it up in the passenger side of this. And when I, when I looked up, I was going about 50 miles an hour, and there was a car that had stopped about 15 feet in front of me, totaled both cars, thought I had killed the man, can't believe that I was not sued, but both of us were taken into the squad. Why? Because I wanted it right now. As a matter of fact, we told students and the parents this week, don't, don't, don't text and drive. 
I'm, I'm an example of someone that I nearly ruined someone else. I nearly ended someone else's life and ruined my own. Why? It's because so much of life is desire management, isn't it? And those skills have to be learned. Those skills of desire management have to be learned. Let's take a, take a little, we have two new grandbabies in our family, and take a baby fresh out of the oven, this cuddly bundle of love and goodwill. Um, but this little darling has one aggravating impulse. I want it all. I want it now. So you know this scenario if you've ever been around babies, baby demands, it's 2 a.m., mom is dead tired, dad is unconscious, and if he's not, he's faking it, and baby gets a little tinge of hunger. What does the little baby do? Oh, far be it from me to inconvenience my folks. I'll just lie here in my comfortable bassinet and coo cutely till morning. Is that what she does? No. Baby screams bloody murder to get that desire milk met. I want milk. I want it all. I want it now. Or let's say that uh, baby is about to, you know, eight months old now, puts finger in light socket, about to do that, an electrical outlet or something, and dad pulls little baby's finger away at the last second. Does little baby go, oh, loving father. Thank you so much from preventing me from being cried crispy baby, fried crispy baby. And if you weren't so attentive and caring, I would be in trouble right now. Thank you so much. That's not what happens. That's not what happens. I had a desire. I am eight months old. I know how these things work. You had the unmitigated desire to deny my fulfillment and you will pay Buster tonight at 2 a.m. I'm going to get hungry and I'm going to want it all and want it now. And that's going to lead to at 4 a.m. I'm going to fill this diaper <laughs> to the full and you're going to have to change it. Why? It's because the, the, the core, the default setting of human nature is to have these desires and fallen human nature is to not trust God to meet them. In the garden, what was the fall? Hey, Adam and Eve, God's holding out on you. The Creator's holding out on you. Get it all. Get it now. Don't wait. And essentially, this narrative in Genesis is about the inability to say, here is the reality of my desire. I'm willing to trust my loving creator with the fulfillment of that desire. But that's not, that's not the default setting of humanity, is it? The default setting of humanity that leads to so much unnecessary conflict is I want it all, I want it now. So uh, my mom and I got along well when I was a kid. We, we had a good relationship. But I remember those times. Do you, do you remember this with your parents where there was deep conflict? And it was always over an unmet desire. I have a clear memory of being in Seaway Department Store on East Main Street in Newark. And I'm about six years of age. And I discovered Gumby. Anybody remember Gumby, the little yellow rubber uh, cartoon character? And Pokey was the orange the orange. He was green. What did I say? Yeah, oh, I'm sorry. Green. Yeah, he was green. <laughs> I should have known better because I now have one in my basement. Okay, I'll get to that in a moment. So he was green, and then Pokey was the orange horse that, that was his little buddy. And I remember discovering, I clearly remember being in the checkout lane 
uh, in Seaway Department Store. And there she is standing firm. She's not meeting my unmet desire to get a, a Gumby figurine. And I just remember pitching a fit that all of Seaway Department Store could hear. She always said I should have been an attorney because I could lay down this argument with vehemence and clarity. Uh, instead, I wasn't smart enough, so I became a preacher. So same thing. And, and I just remember that. I, just, I, re I re have a, such a clear memory of that. I remember she worked for a while at Arcade Drugstore. And I remember one day in probably about fifth grade, a rumor started going around that you could get a speed racer Mach 5 in a matchbox form. And I remember I wanted it all. I wanted it now. I had to have a speed racer Mach 5. And the rumor was that they were at Arcade Drugstore, which she worked there. This was God telling me he wanted me to have a Mach 5. And she put up an argument. She put up a barrier. And I never did get one of those. Never did get one of those. And, uh, but boy, we fought about it. I'm wearing today, so about 20-some years ago, we did this Forrest Gump thing where I was Forrest Gump and Kathy Glister was the lady on the bench. And so we did the whole get-up, and then these, these are Nike Cortez that are the Forrest Gump shoes that I'm wearing. It got put in a box, and about 10 years ago, Rita, they were cleaning a bunch of stuff out back, and they said, hey, there's this box with this Forrest Gump outfit, and do you want these shoes? I said, are you kidding me? And you know Why? It's because when I was in high school, my mom and I got over a, in a fight over Nike Cortez. She says, you've got to make a choice. You're going to get the Nike Blazers, which is the high top for your, for your basketball season, or you can get the Cortez, but you can't have both. And I wanted it all. I wanted it now. In my mind, there was no reason why we couldn't get both. And so when Rita comes to me one day and she says, hey, we found these Nike, you know, we found the, do you want, Yes! I've wanted these all my life. Are you kidding me? And so I never wear them when it's raining or anything like that. I mean, they, these things are 20 years old and they look brand new because, because they symbolize something really, really important about desire management. And that is, I believe this fully, in one way or another, God is hearing the expression of your desires. And what desires do, the wants that we all have, is they bring to the forefront where we really are in our relationship with our Creator and our Redeemer and our Heavenly Father. That's what they do. And if you look at them that way, you'll be amazed at how you can process them much more healthily. Look at this, look at this process of what happens with, with many of us, though, when it comes to desire. We have a desire. It gets denied. We face a dilemma. Do we... Do we choose to wait? Do we choose to trust God or do we choose to put on usually the significant other that is at the core of that did not the denial of that desire? And when we choose to force that upon the individual or individuals whom we think should be meeting that desire, it leads to destruction. This is essentially what James is saying in James 4, 1 to 2, is once you take mismanaged desire and, and your heavenly father is not in that equation at all, it kills. It kills relationship. It kills contentment. It kills happiness. And so look what he says. He says, you do not have because you do not ask God. 
This is the killer of religion, as many of you think that God exists and he's there, but he's running this big machine called the universes, and he's really not intimately acquainted with my ways. When the scriptures constantly say, Jesus says, he knows when a sparrow falls to the ground, he's much more acquainted with you, and, and present all your requests to him, the apostle Paul said in, in Philippians 4, present all your requests to him, like lay it out, lay your desires out, what do you want? He says, you do not have God, ask God, when you ask you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your own pleasures. So we have a character problem here that the expression of the desire is, is exposing. And people ask me this, should I pray for this? Yeah. Paul said, Philippians 4, he said, present all your requests to God. So I, that's one of those I say, just do that. If you want a blue bike for your birthday, Pray for the blue bike, because what happens in that process is, is you begin to see, oh my gosh, I'm worried about blue bikes, and there are people that are hungry, and I mean, you, it, it starts allowing you to process the condition of your soul in a way that never expressing those desires does not allow. Never allows that. So James says, you don't have because you don't ask God, and when you ask, you're still about me, 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 me. And so now we know where we are. Now we know where we are. Uh, well, I mentioned this a few weeks ago. This is, again, one of the most misused verses in Scripture. Trust in the Lord. Delight yourself in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your heart. Now, there's a way this is taken that is, is way extreme, and that is God, everything you ask for, God will give you. Now, as I'll get to in a minute, in one sense, that is true. But that in another sense, it's not true that every time you ask for a blue bicycle, he gives you a blue bicycle. What he gives, I believe, is the desire behind that blue bicycle. What's really behind that? You have this amazing desire for intimacy that you flesh out using porn. That's a, des that's a legitimate desire. The desire for intimacy is legitimate, but you are Adam in the garden saying, I'm going to do it my way. I want it all. I want it now. And you end up doing something that is destructive. Why? Because it's a mismanaged desire that you don't ask God about. You don't take in devotion to your redeemer, your creator, your heavenly father. And so you delight yourself in the Lord and you begin this trusting process that changes you. It changes you. Now, I do believe that sometimes you get the Nike Cortez because sometimes God shows off and just says, you know what? I'm just going to give you the Cortez anyway. But that's not the point, is it? That's not the point. God, God, believe it or not, is not really the most important part of my life is, was not whether or not I got the thing I fought over with my mother when I was a teenager. That is not tops on his list in my character development. But I do believe that that word there, delight yourself in the Lord, focus on him, ask him, and he goes to work. Listen to this. One guy in our church told me one time, he said, my problem in life was that I tried to fill a God-sized emptiness in my soul with man-sized solutions. So you think what you want are those Nike Cortez? No, what you have in your soul is a much bigger hole than that. Much bigger hole than that. And not, there aren't enough shoes in the world to fill the hole that is the God hole. There aren't. There aren't enough blue bikes. There aren't enough houses. There's not enough dollar signs. 
to fill that hole. And that's what we end up doing. So how many of you know this is true because you ruined your first marriage overworking? You chose that over your first marriage. Or you didn't know your kids because you're always gone. Why? You had a legitimate desire to be meaningful, to have impact, to feel esteemed. That's a legitimate desire, but you didn't trust God with it. Then you bit from the apple, didn't you? I don't know who, I don't know who wrote this. But the fact that, that, you know, many of us know we ruin our lives and we have it so good. I mean, that's the, well, the amazing thing is how stupid we can be with our desire management. And yet we have it so good because we're always in America wanting more and more and more and more and more. We think next, 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 more, 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 more is the solution when it's a, when it's a God-sized hole that's going to fit. But whoever wrote excerpts from a dog's daily diary, brilliant, 8 a.m., dog food, my favorite thing. 9.30 a.m., a car ride, my favorite thing. 10 a.m., a walk in the park, my favorite thing. Noon, the kids, my favorite thing. 1 p.m., a milk bone, my favorite thing. 6 p.m., playing ball, my favorite thing. And isn't that like a dog? How many of you have had a dog? It's just so true. That's a dog's day right there. Excerpts from a cat's daily diary. Day 983 of my captivity. (laughs) My captors continue to taunt me with bizarre little dangling objects. They dine lavishly on fresh meat while I am forced to eat dry nuggets. I decapitated a mouse and brought them the headless body in an attempt to make them aware of what I am capable. (laughs) They only cooed and condescended about what a good little hunter I am. In an attempt to disgust and repulse these vile oppressors, I once again induced myself to vomit on their favorite chair. Must try this on their bed. Today, my attempt to, film, to kill my captors by weaving around their feet while they were walking almost succeeded. Must try this at the top of the stairs. Now, here's what's amazing is, is how often many of us get into these just awful fits in life because we, we honestly see our lives as being taken captive. We're so, we're so restricted. I want it all. I want it now. I mean, the American way is you can have it all, which is another way of saying, don't trust God. You got a future to get, get out of my way. Get out of my way. I want it all. I want it now. And if we're honest about it, in reality, life doesn't work that way. The fulfillment of your desires starts with God, not with having everything you want, because everything you think you want is not going to fill that hole. The Yale theologian Miroslav Volf said there are two kinds of richness in life, richness of having and richness of being. He said, richness of having is external circumstance. I have a house, another house, a car, a boat, job, money, title, Nike, Cortez, etc. Richness of being is an inner experience of the soul. It is to be rich in love, serenity, joy, contentment, learning, and spirit. We usually focus on richness of having If only I could have that job, that house, that car, that title, that security, those shoes. But we all want richness of being. 
And the illusion, he said, is that richness of having will eventually produce richness of being. And he said, we become what Wolf calls not enough people. That's what it, it, it always reduces us. And this is why only God fills our hearts is because we're not human havings. We are human beings. That's what we are. You are not a body that might or might not have a soul. You are a soul that happens to have a body. That's who you are. And so this connection with our creator, James says, and James is just repeating the words of his brother, by the way. As he does throughout his letter, James is simply repeating, ask and it'll be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks the door will be opened. This is amazing because this isn't the blank check that you always get the blue bike. What it is is the openness to a relationship where you say, oh my gosh, I'm on an adventure called life with my Redeemer and my Creator. Now I told our young adult group this a couple weeks ago when we were talking about this subject matter. And it's kind of risky to say this, but I genuinely believe this is true. I've gotten everything I've ever wanted in life. And most of the time, it's been 20 years later. Most of the time. And there's a reason for that. It's because he's not as concerned that you have the shoes as he is, you had the soul that you were made for. The soul that he is focused on is not the bottom of your feet. It's who you are. And when you delight yourself in the Lord, when you say, my deepest desire is to relate to you, my deepest desire is to walk in the garden with you, my deepest desire is to do life with you, the with God life, he goes to work in a way that is, to me, astounding. I never dreamed I could have the life that I have had. And that I am not special. I'm just like you. So look at what James says. He says at the core of this is you're just operating the way the world does. That's what, there's no difference. How you're getting your desires met I know you stand on Sundays and sing, I love Jesus, yes I do, I love Jesus, how about you? But in reality, how you operate is no different. And so look what he says. He says, you adulterous people. He is bringing the lumber. Now, this is an Old Testament reference to wandering from God as source was spiritual adultery. It's used in Isaiah, it's used in Jeremiah. There's a whole book about it in the Old Testament called Hosea. And don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. So you're, the, the trajectory of your life is an actual oppositional force to the trajectory God wants for your life. Do you think scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? Again, another Old Testament reference that God is jealous for us. He wants us that much. Some relationships are meant to be solitary. Some relation, and our relationship with God is meant to be that way. But he gives us more grace. He's pouring out. That's why scripture says God opposes the proud, but he shows favor to the humble. In other words, once you say, I, I'm in a place where I want 
to have poured into me the reality of God's grace and that is sufficient for me. And then I operate from there. Any Nike Cortez that come my way is just icing on the cake, but it's not my why. It's not my why for living. Then James says, that's where you begin to see him go to work. I was thinking this week and I was reading this again. There's a section in Jeremiah, the prophet, where, where God looks at them when they have, he has talked about you've committed uh, spiritual adultery. And he says, my people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns. Broken cisterns that cannot hold water. And I appeal to you today on behalf of Christ. Have you, are you digging your own cisterns? Stop today. And go to the source of living water. Jesus said, whoever comes to me will never thirst again. And it's true. Anything that comes your way becomes an added bonus because the thirsting of your soul begins to be satiated by Christ in a way that nothing, nothing, nothing else can do. And you say, how do I do this? Well, he says, he says, submit yourselves, which we're going to do in a few minutes. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil. He's the one who's trying to pull you into this self-destructive path, and he'll flee from you. Very few people know this. The devil is not this entity to just fear and cower before like you have no power through Christ, you have power to resist the devil. And he'll, re- and he'll flee from you, he says. Come near to God. He'll come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. And the word there for sinner is hamalarteo, which means someone who's, yeah, you've been persisting in sin. It's not like you're screwing up. It's your pers- you've been persisting in this. So those of you saying, this has been the way I'm living. He says, come, come to him. Wash yourselves. Purify your hearts. You double-minded. Those of you who say, I want God, but I also want my, I want this, I want this. I'm not sure. No, come to, grieve, mourn, and wail. Real interesting thing on this is we're a culture that just loves to laugh, and we should. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. But do you know what this culture tries to do? It tries to manufacture joy prematurely. Joy is always, legitimate joy is the byproduct of submitting to God. Legitimate joy that comes from the inner being of a soul set right before God. And so there are, you, some of us say, I'm so sad. You know, there are actually, please hear me in the context in which I'm saying this. There are times when Charlie McMahon should have been sad. I should have been sad. Because I was glossing over denying the reality of the God with God life. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. He'll lift you up. And remember, he's not speaking. If you're here today and you're hearing this and you're not a follower of Christ, that's actually not who he's speaking to. He's speaking to those of us who say we're already Christ followers. And yet we're operating the same way that everybody who is not a Christ follower operates. Humble yourselves before the Lord. The word repentance in the New Testament is metanoia. It means to change the mind. It means means that first of all, there is an an act of conviction. I'm broken. I need changed. There's an act of contrition. I am sorry. 
that I've lived this way. Some of you, maybe you're here today and you know you've drifted. You've drifted. You may not be committing spiritual adultery, but you're on your way. Confession, I was wrong. Confess, we're going to see this in chapter 5. Confess, confess your sins. Bring them out in the open. God knows anyway. And then change. I'm ready to go in a different direction. And what I think is really cool is no matter where you are on this continuum right here of mismanaged desire in Scripture, it's always the same result. Let's say that you're, you're at this spot today. It's the same as if you're at this spot. It's, it's repentance. I choose to turn. I choose to acknowledge. I choose... I, I, I choose to do what's right before God, to choose his goodness and trust his goodness, and life follows. This is the pattern you constantly see in Scripture. Now, that may mean you lose some things. It may mean that some of the things you've wished for, you don't have. Because you know what? You're not imbalanced about work anymore, and you don't make the same amount of money you could have made. You leave money on the table. You do. Why? Because there's a deeper thing you're going after. It's relationship with, with your loved ones, relationship with your friends, with your church, with your God. But no matter where you are today, if you, if you look at any one of these five points and you say, that's me, all it takes to begin this journey is an act of repentance. In the Message Bible, James says this, he says, so let God work his will in you. Yell a loud no to the devil. Watch him scamper. Say a quiet yes to God and he'll be there in no time. Quit dabbling in sin. Purify your inner life. Quit playing the field. Hit bottom. Cry your eyes out. The fun and games are over. Get serious, really serious. Get down on your knees before the master. It's the only way you'll get on your feet. Isn't that good? So here's what I want to give you today is maybe, maybe you, you have a desire and right now, sorrowfully, it's not being met. The pivot point is right here. Can you say, I bring that to you, Heavenly Father? That doesn't mean the denial of that desire is right even. Almost always, there will be a delay. This is called faith. If you got what you wanted every time you asked for it, right when you wanted it, it wouldn't require any faith. This is, tr this is trust right here. And what my experience and the experience of hundreds of people in this room that I know will tell you is delight. That there's something deeper that delights the soul that is like a parched, thirsty throat being given water. And I know some of you are new to the faith and you worry, is this just another fad that I'm gonna, I'm gonna back off from? No, 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 once you taste the living water, you'll never go back. You will never, you will never thirst for the water that doesn't really satisfy the soul. Are you here today and you got a God-sized problem, a vacuum in your soul? that requires a God-sized solution and yet you're using people-sized solution? Come to the living water. We have, as Leah said, communion in the room.
and we're going to leave this up here. We're going to leave this up here. And I want you to use this during communion as your map for where you are, for the work that you need to have done in your soul starting today. Maybe you're at a place of conviction, contrition, confession. Use this time. Because if you delight yourselves in the, yourself in the Lord, he'll give you eventually the desires of your heart that you didn't know you had. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the wisdom of James. This is not the stuff that you hear on a talk show at four in the afternoon. Because this is not the wisdom of our world. This is wisdom from above. This is wisdom of a different kind. For those of us who are in deep conflict in our marriages and our families, our side of the street today is to own our desires. To express those when need be. But first of all, to bring those to you. Father, I pray especially with the retreat, the marriage retreat, that so much that happens in marriage are expectations because of unmet desires. And that you will be, you will be their eternal desire met. I pray for our country. We're at war with each other because we have so many fears we want it all, we want it now, and, and we're at war, and nothing will settle a country like a people who say, our God is our shepherd, we shall not want. We shall not want. You, you, our cup runneth over. So we pray that today. I pray that many lives take a different direction in the next few minutes. I pray that repentance comes. The gift of repentance, because that's what it is. It's a gift that leads to life. So thank you for our day. Thank you for this hour. We give it to you in the name of Christ. And everybody said, amen. We'll see you next week.